You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. There are the famous touch tones. Introducing our straight talk segment here on Real Presence Live, Father Jason Leffer, Father James Gross here with you from the Diocese of Fargo. And we are looking forward to hearing from you. Our number is 877-795-0122. You're also welcome to leave questions on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio. You know, Father Gross, as we hop in this, and we definitely want to hear from people. We always want to hear from people. But I'm looking out that window, and I'm having flashbacks to childhood. This frigid, cold air of ice skating on the farm pond, Mm. of, you know, cold toes, cold nose, cold fingers, but just having... So much fun and some of the greatest memories of my entire life happened in the possibility of the frigid outdoors as we're here in this toasty warm studio. For me, there's a similar reaction with regard to uh, sledding down the hills and our pastures on a Sunday afternoon. And it amazes me that my adult self thinks back to how many times I must have trudged back up those tall hills. You know, as as a kid, you have that energy. But nowadays, I don't know. I wouldn't be na- making nearly as many trips. And again, and I'm thinking of, like, <laughs> how often how can you relive this scene? So it's like a school break. There you are. It's too frigid outside. Mom is going crazy because the kids are climbing the wall. Get or, out of this and house! She, and, she, and she'd throw the clothes and she'd, she didn't care. She'd bundle you up and she'd throw you out the door and like, what are we supposed to do out there? And the next thing you know, the sun's down, it's dark, mom's calling, ordering like, where'd you guys go? And it was just an adventure, right? That's right. From building igloos to snowball fights to ice skating to tobogganing, sledding. Yeah. And and so, you know, I say that as a way of like, again, like earlier we said, you know, ice and snow bless the Lord and all this. Like, all creation praises God. And there's just beauty and glory in all of God's creation. Yep, so. something to be grateful for, definitely. Now, I wanted to ask you quickly, Father, here, before we dive into these questions. In the last couple of years, we had the privilege of going up to uh, the J-Mart, the general store yes. in Pizek, to do an on-location show. Unfortunately, it didn't work out this year, and I wasn't able to get up there. But can you give us a little recap? They order lots and lots of candy. Yes. It becomes a destination. <laughs> well, How did things go for them? When we say lots and lots, we're talking tons. Of okay, candy. yes. Yes, and it, 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 it is. It's you know the J Mart there, and it was again a very successful season. As I was just in there yesterday, and and the aisles and aisles of candy has come down to pounds of candy. There's just a remnant. There, there's remnants remaining. There's still you can still find some if you you come and and, and get it or whatever. But again, yeah. sorrowful that we didn't uh, that it didn't work out. And had to, there's some behind the scenes things. In it, but next year we're we'll do it again. And Francis even said we don't. We've got internet now, so we can we can plug in right there. We don't have to we don't have to run the cable across the street to get our right, our right. Internet, yeah, so. it won't be quite as adventurous as it had been, but we are definitely looking forward to that next uh, ne- next time, if at all possible. Now we do have a question that was submitted by an anonymous listener from Fargo, asking why was Christmas a day of a holy day of obligation, but this year New Year's is not, and so we can maybe talk about some of those celeb- solemnities that. You know, our holy days of obligation, if they're not on a Monday or a Saturday, what what's up with that? I, you know, I get all wonky in this. I love getting wonky on this stuff. <laughs> I just, I just I, for most people, they're probably like, ah, whatever. But no. Oh, okay, so let's, uh, um, well, first of all, Father, we, we should, let's talk about this. Like that word obligation. It, it's, it's such a kind of a loaded word. And I don't know where you fall on this order, but there's a whole part of me that 
it kind of bothers me or disturbs me at, at a certain level that we have that word obligation. Well, there. I would say that the uh, meaning of it doesn't ring the same way for a 2021 person as it would like a century ago. Absolutely. So, so, but I want to talk about it because it's like, th there's a certain part of me that wishes that word could just disappear and go away. It, it's the same way that I wish sin could disappear and go away. You know, like, because right. you hear obli obligation, you think duty. And what, what you tend to do is when you hear that, it reduces your relationship down to, to God, to a duty, or something that I'm obligated to require. You're under his thumb, sort and, of. And I, I always say, you know, there, there's no have-tos with God. There's only get-tos. You know, you get to. And so an obligation, will, we would turn it down to I have to kind of a thing. And, it, and, and then you end up missing out on the glory kind of thing. It's, anyway, so this idea that, well, what, what things do, are under a moral obligation to attend? Well, we say like uh, Sundays. And again, to people would say, Look, the, the moral obligation to, quote, attend ma is to, to show up and worship God. Like a lot of people, the moral obligation is to receive communion. And it's not, there's a distinction there. Right. The moral obligation you have is actually to come into God's presence using the words of the church to praise and worship God the Father through Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And that, that's the moral obligation. And then there, the different days of the year have different themes mm -hmm. of which God has given to us. So... What are our big days, Father Gross? What are the two big days of the year for Christians? We've Christmas and Easter. Right. And so some of us, we're like Christmas and Easter Christians or Catholics, right? And I'm not saying that to disparage anybody. I'm saying, well, praise God, that's the beginning. Let's let's take that and value that and build that up. But And, and what day of the year does Easter fall on? Sunday. Right. Every year. And then what day of the year does Christmas fall on? A certain date on the calendar, okay, which next year will be Sunday. <laughs> which, which we priests are very grateful for. <laughs> so, but, but here's the deal on that. So it's, it's, what's happening here is we have two different calendars. You've, you've got the lunar calendar and you've got the solar calendar. And mm -hmm. they're, they're bumping into each other. When, when you know what day of the... Uh, like you always know that Easter is on Sunday. Um, it's, it's following on calendar. And when you say, well, what day is Christmas on? Well, we don't know because it's following the days of the week, right? Now, and here they, they bump together. So this year is a great experience of why the church has this rule that if a holy day of obligation comes along and it bumps into another holy day of obligation, generally the, the lesser solemnity, the obligation part's going to drop out. It doesn't mean it's not a holy day. It's still a holy day, but the church is relaxing the the moral obligation part or th th say that the possibility of committing a sin if you choose not to attend or go. Mm -hmm. And then the reason they're saying that is there are real reasons why it becomes an impossibility for somebody in certain circumstances to to make it to church two days in a row or a morning and the evening on the same mm -hmm. day or what have mm -hmm. you. There's, and there's many circumstances that right. that would apply to. Right. So now one, one of the things that I mention to people is that, let's say, you know, with January 1st, if it's on a Saturday or on a Monday, I still make it a high priority to have at least one Mass for that solemnity so that people can celebrate that rather than to think, well, if there, it's not the moral obligation to hatching, then we just completely forget about it. Also, I, I think this has to do with various... Um, bishops' conferences in countries throughout the world, right? Because in some parts of the world, there are solemnities that would be obligatory there, but not necessarily here. Like uh, uh, maybe uh, St. Joseph or Annunciation, absolutely. things like that. And again, there might be spiritual reasons why it's more important one place over another place. Uh -huh. Yeah. So so exactly right. So in my case, I have, I have three parishes. So mm -hmm. on Saturday, in the morning, we're going to have a 
Eucharistic Holy Hour, we're going to have Mass, and we're going to have breakfast for anybody who comes as an enticement to drop people. But we're not going to do it at all three parishes. We'll just do it at the main parish, because obviously mm-hmm. we're heading into Sunday, which right. and, that, and everything goes on with that. Okay, but now the specific question, to get into the nuance here, it, yes. says, it says, well, why was Christmas, why was the obligation Christmas kept? But now for New Year's, Mary, Mother of God, the obligation isn't kept. And, and again, it has to do with the ranking. I guess you mm-hmm. call it, say, yeah. is that the right word? The ranking of the solemnity. Right. Christmas and Easter, it's on no matter what. We, mm-hmm. we don't bump. Everything else gets bumped. That's why like, we ran into, actually, Sunday was less important. Sunday of the Holy Family was less important than Christmas. So we had this 5 o'clock Saturday experience where it could have covered your... Christmas obligation or your Sunday obligation, but it was the Christmas liturgy. It wasn't the Holy Family liturgy at 5 p.m. on Saturday. But people who come that day, and in an anticipated way, they know that they're covered. Exactly. So, But I always told people, like, unfortunately, the church doesn't do two-for-ones. You can't just go to that 5 yeah, o'clock cover right. Christmas and mm-hmm. Sunday, but it works either way. Okay, but then when we come here to Mary, Mother of God, so basically what it's saying is, is Sunday is taking precedence over the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. It's still a holy day. But because Saturday or Monday, the obligation of Mary, Mother of God, on January 1st drops out. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's because the church is taking into consideration. The church never wants to put its people in a situation that's going to force them to enter into sin or to you know, lose the life of grace because of some rule or law. The, the idea about rules and laws is to help you remain in grace, not to put a burden upon you right. so you, you can't <clears throat> remain in grace. Mm-hmm. And so there, yep. there's a mercy or a leniency in this as far as... Mm-hmm. Considering sinfulness, absolutely. And, and again, to come back one last time on that obligation part. That's why I'd, I'd love Father Gross to like. If we were all mature Christians, we we wouldn't need the word obligation. We wouldn't need these oblig- because we would we would automatically be living our our hearts and our minds through thinking with the mind of Christ, with the heart of the church. Yeah, and we we call it maybe the Holy Day privilege of All Saints it, Day. <laughs> I love it. What a great idea, right? You're, you're privileged if you're if you actually attend. Yeah, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I mean that that whole thing about the nomenclature can kind of trip people up too. But thank you very much for submitting that question. We also um, we have open phone lines here eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two, and we're welcome to uh, we welcome you to submit questions on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio. Okay, so a couple things came in on my uh, text messages here. We'll hit these. So one, I love it. A listener, Karen, she says. Oh, really, it's a holy day of opportunity. There you go. That's that's wonderful. Ah, there you are. You know, okay. Another question came in from Marianne. Um, she's asking, um, it, okay, is it possible for a non-Catholic to receive the 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 last rites or the last sacrament in particular? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I would say that you know you would have to be certain that this is what the person intends, that they believe in what you know what we believe it is. We certainly don't want to kind of strong arm somebody. Let's say just the the example: the eighty um, year old gentleman who was a lifelong Lutheran, married to a Catholic for fifty some years. He probably toyed with the idea here and there. His wife certainly wanted him, but he never went ahead and did it he would have to make some sort of clear indication that, you know, in order for me to go ahead and celebrate that. And I like to mention that that title, Last Rites, is sort of an umbrella thing. And and we're not saying R-I-G-H-T-S, we're saying R-I-T-E-S, as in where the word ritual comes from. So it is 
anything and everything, sacramentally or otherwise, that the church would do for someone in immediate danger of death. And because that's become such a common parlance, unfortunately, and this is kind of like a little bit of a tangent, but there are a lot of people who may not approach the church for anointing of the sick when they are good candidates to receive it if they, before surgery or in a chronic, you know, serious health condition. So it's not as though we have some sort of magic spidey sense, you know, so-and-so is on death's door, I've got to get there within the next four hours or or that sort of thing. But um, it is a great consolation to be able to provide last rites. We just don't want to kind of, you know, bulldoze or, you know, steamroll, you know, people into, you know, that it's all, it's available, certainly in that setting. Absolutely. And and maybe for our listeners who might not have full knowledge of, um, let's just, let's go through what what are some possible last rites and what we mean by that. So the first one I'd say is baptism. Like if, if there's a person who's never been baptized and they're at the death door, or let me, wait, let me back up, beep, 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 back up. It, this this falls under canon law about the question of who can and who can't. So in the, one of the very last code, uh, canons and code of canon law is in the case of death, uh, all bets are like in danger of death. Uh, lots of things are relaxed. The, the whole thing is about salvation of souls. And if we're if we're sitting in it, it's a legitimate situation for the salvation of a soul, the church will always err on the side of mercy mm-hmm. towards that individual. Right. Really, no matter who right. they are. Right. And, and pastorally speaking, the person has to be competent, coherent enough to, so that you don't have a question, that's what they want. Right. So, so you, so there are, so this question covers a lot of different situations, but generically speaking, if it's a situation the person has never been baptized and they're expressing a desire to or an understanding or in, in the, in a form, if you express to them and they say, yes, that's what I want, but they're on their part, there has to be some affirmative. So baptism would be the first one, I'd say, if, if that has never happened. Right. And then that one, boy, that covers a whole, that uh, multitude of sins, right? It covers <laughs> all the sins. Quite right? literally. So, you know, well, then in there, it, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist would come in again. It, it, and you have to understand the circumstances that's, that plays so much in this mm-hmm. about the extent of what happens or what goes on there. Okay, but let's say the person's baptized and, and they're, they're Catholic. Well, so one of those things is how about the, um, the, the sacrament reconciliation, right? Is that, yeah. is that a, that's one of the first... Right, kind a, of a fully initiated out. Catholic, yes. Can they make a good confession? Right, so that would be in there. And then have they been confirmed? Do they know? Because then there would be confirmations of question. If they haven't received that yet, again, danger of death, all bets are off. Here we go with the mm-hmm. oils of confirmation. And priests have the universal uh the faculty to, in case to, of yeah to, to danger of death mm-hmm. and then then of course that would come then to the in, in case of death we'd, we'd call receiving eucharist the uh viaticum which, La- from the latin phrase with you on the way exactly on the way across the rivers of death we'd say okay yeah. so then then the question comes in well how about somebody who's baptized but not catholic and so there's a couple different categories and the church would look and say um Okay, are they some of our separate brethren in the sense of like Orthodox or uh, what we'd say who have the sacraments or whatever? And we'd say if they don't have access to their their priests or their valid sacraments, we we definitely err on the side of mercy of helping and dispensing and giving if right. if they themselves are asking for it again. For That's, sure, that, that has to be in there. And then the church does make an exception for on the danger of death of those we would say Protestant brothers and sisters who who are in danger of death, who are baptized and, and asking as well. And there has to be some type of communication and understanding that they express belief in what they're, what they're asking for, understanding, again, on a basic level. Yes. We're not talking about theological right, test or right. something. 
And then the, the church does say, yes, in this case, it, mm-hmm. we extend the mercy of, mm-hmm. of those sacraments and those last yeah. rites as well. Right. If the person is yeah. So, so those are all the things that kind of fall into the bucket. The one last thing I would mention about that is there is a beautiful prayer as part of this called the apostolic pardon for uh, people who are in immediate danger of death. Um, and uh, please, you know, uh, f- uh, please uh, feel free to mention that specifically and to ask your priest, you know, to include that. I know, Father, for me, I, I always err on the side of being generous with that blessing, if there's any hint at all that this might be where we are. And I know one other question that comes up, and it, this one seems kind of harsh or whatever, but people say, well, how about somebody who's died already? Can they receive these, these last rites and so forth? And mm-hmm. the answer to that is, well, unfortunately, the sacraments are for the living, not yeah. for the dead. Mm-hmm. But then again, I always go, Father Sherman, he's great. My friend. He's like 94 now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. God bless Father Sherman. But he would always say, man, when you go out there, if there's even, a, if you have no idea how long it's been, you you slap those sacraments on those guys just in case. You don't know. What, you know, and I, I, yeah. I, I kind of love that idea in the, in the sense that you don't know for sure here. Right. Because we have all these stories of people coming back to life and things. And yeah. you just, but right. A, a person who's at home or maybe a, um, you know, a assisted living facility or whatever, you don't have the medical team like in a hospital. You don't have somebody who called the time of death or whatever. So, yeah, I think, you know, we can be forgiven for And then I think there's one other kind of situation related to that where, again, <coughs> you know the person's dead and it's beyond, mm-hmm. you know. But yet now we're, we're, we're thinking of the people who are involved who are still living. Yes. And there are prayers and things that you can do right. th- that will give comfort for those who are living now wondering, well, what are you going to do, Father, here? This person died an hour ago and everything. That is a beautiful moment. It can be difficult for us as well as for those left behind, but at least there's some official gesture on behalf of the church reaching out to those. And I, I love how the church has thought this and she provides beautifully at these moments. Yeah. For, and that's right. Uh, right. Well, we do have just a few minutes left. I'll give the phone number here one more time for our straight talk segment, 877-795-0122. We did have someone uh, chime in. They're not on the phone with us but a listener question about christmas as a season and the catholic uh sensibility about that when does christmas end for catholics how long can you keep up your christmas tree um <laughs> i mean there might be kind of separate sorts of things but i just want to preface this with a couple of things for me one of the saddest things is if I happen to drive through a neighborhood on the 26th or the 27th of December and I see a live tree sitting outside on the berm, you know, like it's like the stroke of midnight after Christmas Day is over. Okay, right, you know, yank off all the lights and the ornaments and, and throw it out of the front door of the house, that sort well, of now thing. Now, you know why that happens, Father? Because that tree's been up since October 31st. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why. It is as dry as you can imagine. That reminds me, when we were at uh, Cardinal Manch Seminary, the uh, good uh, Knights of Columbus would donate several trees to us for use in the, semi- in, the, in the seminary, and when the Christmas season came to an end and we were taking everything down, we would have a beautiful bonfire at night, and I tell you what, you have never seen flames like you've seen them ca- engulfing those and dry Christmas powerful, trees. it is powerful, like the, the shadows off the, the snow and everything. <laughs> About <laughs> 10, 15 feet up in the air, yeah, yeah, we're like, our, oh, our, should we have really done this? You know, gotta say one thing, our, our famous rector, Father Irmer, he loved those sacrifices. And he, he loved, loved it. fire, fire, and all of it—the oil, the water, you name it. He loved all that. So yes, indeed. Okay. okay. Well, okay. So the question: When does it? And I'd say there's multiple answers to this mm-hmm. question. So when does Christmas end, and w- the Christmas tree, and so forth? So let's let, let's talk about some specific things. Like this Sunday is going to be Epiphany, mm-hmm. and uh, so again, Epiphany is is Christmas for numerous 
um, cultures around cultures the world. around the world, yeah. right? So there's this Christmas season, and there's a whole historical development to the, this whole Christmas season. So, which is beautiful in itself. Okay, traditionally, um, the Chris, the Christmas, the immediate Christmas season ends on the, with the baptism of the Lord, which this year is going to be January second. It's a real short Christmas season that way. So you, you'd say... Well, so, January 9th is the baptism of the oh, Lord. Sorry, one right. week after so, Epiphany. Sorry, there we go. The second is Epiphany, which normally is on the 6th. That's what I meant to say. Thank you. Okay, Ron. right. And But the 9th is there, which is traditionally the, the yeah. date of the and, and when you say uh, January 6th, um, in, in an older way of enumerating these days, that was the 12th day of Christmas. Exactly. So 12 days after the 25th would be January 6th. So when Epiphany was celebrated on a fixed date, that's when it would be every year. Now, in... in uh, many parts of the world it's transferred to a Sunday. Sunday for for various reasons okay okay then so technically the the church's liturgical expression is going to change on january 9th after that that day right and you're going to see like probably a lot of christmas trees and things disappear yeah well come to your right you come to your church you'll see a difference because we will have begun the season of ordinary time with that monday the 10th which is always interesting because that kind of 10 days before that as kids go back to school and all that and their classrooms have changed and they've moved on mentally they come in the church like what the crash is still here and the trees are still here it's a little okay but now technically officially the christmas season ends 40 days later a presentation of the lord on february February 2nd it's a 40-day period just like you know that there's that 40 days like the Lent, that's that ma- not magic number, grace-filled number forty, which means complete time. So, if you were to go to Rome, for example, their crash is up in the St. Peter's Square until February second, mm-hmm. which is the presentation of the Lord when we liturgically celebrate Christ being presented in the temple. And at that moment, it officially ends. <coughs> and, and, and which is interesting about this. So, there's a lot of folklore and superstitions and stuff out there about because right. you'll still have poinsettias and things until February second, mm-hmm. and they always mm-hmm. say, "Here's one that freaked the people out." It says. February 2nd, you need to take down all the trappings and so forth of of Christmas. It needs to be over. And if you don't, you're going to bring death upon your family. You know, it's just like, and no, no, but you think, well, where does this stuff come from? How does it get started? Well, oftentimes Lent would be starting shortly after that February 2nd. And so it's the idea of change the scenes. You go from festivity and the joy of Christ coming and so forth. Now we're entering into the desert with him, right? So th- there is a mindset and a heart of how the church thinks and operates mm-hmm. in, in all of these right. things. But but again, I guess, you know, what uh, we're just kind of presuming here is that we live in a society that for those in a secular means who care about Christmas as a holiday, as an observance, they will start it quite early. In fact, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of uh, advertisements, whether it be on TV or radio, at the very moment that Halloween was over, you all, all of a sudden you heard, you know, sleigh bells and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like, really? Okay, we're there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that that it, it basically um, obscures our very, you know, notion of Advent. And also, when you think of the gospel readings used for the Mass at night or the Mass at dawn, the mystery is just beginning, figuratively, to dawn upon people, you know? The, the baby has just been born, the shepherds have just received the message, they've shown up to the, you know, so only the mastering the day is kind of the look back from the prologue of St. John's Gospel that, you know, what's the true identity of this child and the beginning was the word, etc. But it's like the church is saying, we need time to unfold the, 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 you know, the fullness of the meaning of what we're celebrating. And that doesn't happen December 1st through 24th. That starts on the evening of the 24th and is meant to continue from there. And I think the challenge for we priests, we catechists, mature 
Christians and Catholics is that um, we, we, that we're up against this multi-billion trillion dollar industry of the commercialization of Christmas, mm-hmm. and we, we need to be creative in our ways of evangelizing and catechizing in the midst, like, not to condemn it, but to say, l- let's take this now and let, let's show you the depth of the truth of it. So, for, I just use a simple example. Uh, say, like, Hallmark, you know, movies or whatever, they're just loaded from October 31st to December 25th, all these Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. But they, they never talk about Christ. They never talk about the infant. They never talk about mm-hmm. what Christ, They talk about the magic of Christmas, the, the kind of thing. And it could be easy to condemn it or whatever, but say, like, okay, here, let's grab that and let's point them to the truth, the reality, the deeper meaning of it. Mm-hmm. And let's go from a commercialization to salvation. And, and let's harvest that and move them in the direction right. where it needs to go. Because if we need to manufacture that that ambrosia, you know, that good feeling or whatever, we're ultimately going to become disappointed when life unfolds as it does, and we may become jaded by those things. You know, if there is no, uh, if there is no child Jesus, if there's no redemption, you know, if there's no salvation to to rely upon. And here, here's something in that. So, and then by people, part of the mystery is like, take time, go to the crush in your your church and look there because all the all the elements of the paschal mystery the the suffering death and resurrection of christ is present already in that manger scene from like like the wood of the crash um the ox and the ass which so the wood represents the cross the ox and the ass represent the two thieves that he was crucified between the two um the fact that it's in bethlehem the house of bread the fact Mm -hmm. that he's in a, a feeding trough that he is the eucharist the bread of life um the, the stable is actually like a cave and not a freestanding building, which would have rep- resembled a tomb. Tomb being born in the resurrection. So, mm-hmm. and what's so beautiful about it, it's like the Heavenly Father, and, and he's making his son, his son is bound and wrapped. He's helpless, and he can't do anything for himself, just like the crucifixion. He, he can't, can't even scratch his nose. Right. God the Father, in this beautiful, gentle way, is inviting us into this mystery where we see ourselves comforting the one in need to come to the realization mm-hmm. that we need to be comforted because right. we're the ones in need. Mm-hmm. And he is here. He made himself weak enough now mm-hmm. that we can actually relate to and God. And just very, very quickly here, just uh, one little custom that I've learned about since coming up to this area is that um, whether I think it's Polish or Czech, uh, probably primarily Polish, that um, in a church nativity scene, there is a small receptacle set up so that you are giving a gift, you might say. And so um, that's what we have in our church. We have a little ashtray near where the Christ child is, and there's going to be coins or maybe you know some money in there and stuff. And that's that. That's another little custom. We, we grew up with a little thing like that too. In okay. My church, I put a huge basket. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Hey, I got to remember that for next year. So one hour is already in the can here for Real Presence Live. When we come back, we'll have a conversation with Jason Atkins about a range of topics dealing with the Minnesota Catholic Conference. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Real Presence Live. 